You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. a new sermon series. I'm excited about this because this is kind of stretching us a little bit in our Bible study. We don't really focus a lot on the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks going through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and I'm excited about this because the Old Testament uh, it is a, such a rich story. It provides so much context to what we already live in, in the gospel through the gospel of Christ. And so I'm really excited about this personally as it stretches my own personal Bible study, but my prayer and my hope is that it stretches you as well, that you will go back into Deuteronomy. I'm, you know, if you don't know where Deuteronomy is, I would encourage you to go to the table of contents in your Bible right now and look for Deuteronomy and find it, and we're going to camp out there for a little bit uh, this morning. We're going to read a lot of verses, a lot of scripture. I hope you're okay with that. Let's let God's word speak into us and, uh, and guide our time this morning. And um, I, I, I'm reading this book called Poured Out uh, by a gentleman named Leonard Allen, and, um, and it's about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy, God has poured out his Holy Spirit uh, amongst his people. And he has this quote that I loved. It says here, Scripture provides the overarching narrative that most fundamentally shapes the identity of the people of God. It is a rich and complex story. And the learning of that story and the living into the story in the regular rhythms of the church's life fundamentally shape the kind of people Christians are called to be. Over time, we come to understand ourselves as characters within God's ongoing story. And I love this idea that the word of God You know, the scripture, the whole entire word of God, it provides, it fundamentally shapes the identity of the people of God. That this is such a rich story. It's such a complex story. It's such a full story that many times we can neglect the fact that it all works together. And it brings us, and we we see ourselves in these stories. We see ourselves, and God provides guidance through his word. And I love, I love this idea that over time, it says here, he says, he writes, over time we come to understand ourselves as characters within God's ongoing story. Um, you know, the Old Testament, there's people in the world, in our society, that use Old Testament uh, stories as sayings, and they don't even know sometimes that it comes from the Old Testament. How many times have you watched a sports match and they're talking about the Davids meeting a Goliath? Or you've heard somebody at work say, man, that's just been a Goliath in my life. Or that, you know, some people don't even know the story of David and Goliath, and yet they're quoting it like, ah, the Goliath is a giant, and I guess, do you see what I'm saying? Uh, I've heard people say, man, that girl, man, she's such a Jezebel. What, what, (laughs) girl doesn't even know what a Jezebel, you know, who's Jezebel? She's in the Old Testament, right? Um, man, that guy's walking into the lion's den. He's walking into his boss's, you know, office right now. He's walking in the lion's den. Like, we use phrases that come from the Old Testament that we don't even sometimes realize come from the Old Testament. I'm not talking about just we as Christians, but I'm talking about just people in the world. Um, you know, the, the, the whole story of Israel being enslaved and the freedom of the promised land. 
um, as we continue, I mean, you know, February was Black History Month, but I continue to, we want to continue celebrating black history. And I think, man, that this is, the civil rights movement used so much of that story to attach to their own story, right? The promised land, the freedom, the oppressiveness of the Egyptians, of the Israelites, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And so we need to understand that the, the Old Testament provides so, so much richness to our, uh, our lives and how we live and how we believe, and it frames and it gives even a fuller story to Jesus and who, who he is and who he is to each one of us. Uh, and so I'm excited about our time in the next few weeks. I hope it stretches your faith a little bit here. Romans 15, the Apostle Paul made this observation. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Don't you love that? That through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. These men and women that Paul wrote to in Rome did not have the New Testament that we have. They didn't have that. All they had was the Old Testament. They had the Psalms. They had Leviticus. They had Genesis. They had the prophets. They didn't have what we, you and I have today. And yet Paul says, man, whatever was written in those days was written for our instruction. We can glean from it. We can learn from it that we might have hope. Okay, a couple of uh, Bible study terms. You guys ready? We're going to go to school here a little bit. Number one, everybody say exegesis. You got to say it with conviction here. Exegesis. All right. The study of Scripture to find the original intended meaning. We're going to do some exegesis, okay? We're going to try to figure out what happened then and there at that point. Because a lot of our interpretation will be enlightened by what we find out what was happening then and there. Who was it written to? Why was it written then there? Uh, and then we're going to go into hermeneutics. Let me say here, say hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. And that's the here, answering the here and now question. So whenever you study the Bible, even if you're new to the Bible, if you're here for the first time, you're kind of still discovering the Bible, I want to encourage you, when you read the Bible, understand that what was written was written to people back then and there that still has relevance to us here and now. The first thing in order for you to figure out what it means for us here and now is to figure out what it meant back then and there. Do you guys follow me on that? And so we're going to do a little bit of that uh, today as we study the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and in the next few weeks, I want to encourage you in your own personal Bible study. Okay, let me figure out what's happening then and there. And now, how does it apply to me here and now? The other thing I want to talk about real briefly is the covenants. Everybody know here what a covenant is? A covenant is an agreement. It's a, a contract almost. And so in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abraham and said, listen, come out here, look at the stars in the sky, so shall your offspring be. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all nations because of you, and you are going to be my people. And everybody will know that you're my people. Here's the sign of the condition that you're my people. You need to have all your men be circumcised. Circumcision was not... In the, in the game at that time, in any tribe or any nation, and God said, I want you to be circumcised, and that's the agreement that we're going to have. And that's how people are going to know that you're my people. 
And then he gives them a law, and he gives them uh, a whole set of laws and says, you're going to follow me, you're going to obey these laws, and you're going to be my people, and I will be your God. And then Jesus creates a new, when he comes in, he says, this is a new covenant that's now in a new agreement in my blood, which means now I'm going to die for you, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you, and I'm going to elevate the standard so much of what God originally meant in the Old Testament, and you're going to realize you cannot meet that standard, and you're going to be desperate for me and a relationship with me. And it was a relationship, covenant. Both, both covenants are relationship covenants. We are held now today under the new covenant because of Jesus. You guys follow me on this? This is kind of where we're at, where we exist. But it's, the new covenant becomes so much fuller and richer when you understand the old covenant. And that's what we're going to be doing here the next couple of weeks. Okay, are we ready? Everybody in Deuteronomy? Okay, Genesis the book of Genesis ends. Hold on. Let me give you a little context, okay? The book of Genesis uh, ends. It's the story of the creation of the world, and it's the story of God's covenant with Abraham and is, you know, his son Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons and 12 tribes of Israel. And so Genesis ends with all of those tribes of Israel in Egypt. And... Exodus continues the story, and it tells us that over generations, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. And it's the story of Moses and God hearing the cry of his people and sending Moses to free his people. And, and then it goes in, and then he gets the people out, into the, uh, out of Egypt. And that's where we have the story of the Red Sea partying and the manna from heaven and just incredible works of God. And then... The story of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus is given to us, and Leviticus is basically all of God's laws that he gives to his people. And then we get to the book of Numbers, and the book of Numbers tells you the census. All the numbers of people, hence the name of the book, Numbers, all the peoples that are part of each tribe and each allotment of land and all that kind of stuff that's happening uh, in the book of Numbers. And it recounts some of the things in Exodus. And so you read these things, and then you get to Deuteronomy. And what happened in Deuteronomy is the, the men and women from uh, Israel had spent 40 years in the desert, wandering around in the desert, going in circles, all because they had been rebellious to God. And they had all passed, and God had told them the new generation, the next generation, they're going to, the ones, they're going to be the ones to take it into the promised land. And so Deuteronomy is the story of Moses standing before this new generation. And you've got to picture in your mind, as Moses is an old, old man now. He's walking up to this hilltop, and he's facing the whole nation of Israel, and they're all young, fresh faces. And these people have heard of the stories of Moses. They may not know who, they may not have met him, but they've heard their parents talk about Moses. And they see this old, raggedy old man up there. And he's up there, and he, he sees their faces, and he probably remembers in his mind, oh man, they look, they, look this is their parents. He remembers their parents. 
He remembers the zeal their parents had when they were coming out of Egypt. And he gets in front of them and, he try, and, he, and he's about to encourage them. And instead he decides to go off on the Israelites. And Deuteronomy is the story of Moses telling this new generation the story of what they are a part of and what they are entering. Does that make sense? So, Deuteronomy chapter 1, let's go. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, Then I said to you, You have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. So Moses is recounting the story of how they ended up in the wilderness in the first place. Verse 23 says, the idea seemed good to me. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of and explored it. And taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord our God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? You know how your kids grumble. Come on. Verse 29, then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as you as your father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. But in spite of this. You did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. And Moses is recounting this story. He's saying, guys, God promised this to us. He gave us this land. And you had a better idea. You wanted me to send spies out into the land to check it out. So I was okay with that. Even though God already said we'd have it. You thought you had a better idea, so we went to send spies. And they came up giving a great report. And God says, I'm going to fight for you. And yet, you still didn't want to do it. You still didn't trust God. And, he's, and, he, and he reminds them, but look how he saved us from the Egyptians. Look how he's taken care of us in the wilderness. And still, you didn't trust God. And so God gets angry. And God says, you know what then? Forget this. You're going to stay in the desert for the next 40 years, and your children will be the ones to enter the promised land. In verse 41, it says, 
God had, right before that, Moses is recounting the story that God had promised them, hey, you're going to go up and defeat, uh, you can defeat this, this, this place, but you guys decided not to. And then you reply in verse 41, he says, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put it on his weapons, thinking it was easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command. And in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kaddish many days, all the time you spent there. This is how Moses starts off his sermon to this new generation. I just want to remind you what kind of people you are. What kind of people your parents were. In their arrogance, they thought they could repent real quick and get God's favor and go up and defeat this country. And God said, don't go up. I'm not going to be with you. And still you wouldn't listen and trust me. And what happened? You get chased down like a swarm of bees. Now, what's amazing about God is that we find out about God's nature, what, what Moses says in chapter 2, verse 7. As Moses is continuing this story and he's continuing to share, uh, you know, talking about they're going to defeat two kings. And God still, it says here, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. In spite of the rebellion, in spite of the arrogance, in spite, he knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Isn't that incredible to think about? Here is God giving very specific commands. The people continually disobeying, continually not trusting God, continuing to rebel from God. And yet God said, I'm still going to take care of you. You have lacked nothing. And Moses recounts the story of how God said, OK, there's two kings. There's two kingdoms that as you travel, you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to defeat and I'm going to be with you. And Moses tells him, and I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to the, all the kingdoms in which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So even in the rebellion, in the arrogance, God still fights for his people. And in this story, we see the nature of God. And we also see the nature of the Israelites, the nature of humankind. Now, right after this, as, as Moses is recounting these stories, you guys still with me here? As Moses is recounting this story, he also makes reference to the golden calf. Do you guys know the story of the golden calf? So the story of the golden calf is basically Moses is up in the mountain in Mount Sinai and he's getting the Ten Commandments 
from God himself. And while he's away, the people get impatient and upset, and they keep on waiting for Moses. And they just say, you know what, this guy, we don't know if he's coming back or not. Let's just build this statue and worship it. And in other words, they started to worship an idol. And Moses is recounting this story to this new generation, and he tells them at Taborah also, and at Massa, and at Kibroth, Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and take possession of the land that I've given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Talk about a grumpy old man talking to a bunch of his grandkids and probably great-grandkids there. You know what I mean? You've been rebellious since the day I knew you. When I read this and I see the, the, the idolatry of the Israelites after them... Cro- I mean, guys, they, there was a crossing of the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. They're walking and fish are like swimming around them. They have no food, and food is raining down on them. And still, they don't trust God. Still, they rebel against God. Still, they don't listen to God. Whose story is that? Who does that remind you of? That's us. That's your story. That's my story. God says, here you go, here you go, here you go. Take this, you can have this. I'm pouring myself out for you on this. Just listen to me. Just trust me. And what do we say? No, I have a better idea. No, I'm going to do it this way, actually. Thanks, but no thanks. And that's our life. Paul makes an interesting observation that goes in line with this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Paul makes this observation. Just like Moses, you've been rebellious since I've known you. Paul makes the same observation. You, they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And this is our life. This is our story. And so we replace God and we put money as our golden calf. We put our knowledge, I know better, as our golden calf. We put a relationship as our golden calf. And God's over here like, I've given you so much, including my word. I've given you my son. And you think you can do this on your own? 
You think you have a better idea? You're over here arguing about my plan of salvation and baptism and the Holy Spirit being part of that? And you're arguing with me because you think you know better? And you got yourself a girlfriend and you're dating now and you think that you know better? And you get married and you think you know how to do marriage better than what I've laid out? Are you kidding me? And you had a kid and you think you can raise your child the way that you were raised or the way that you think you should raise your child and you're reading all these psychology books about raising a child and I've laid it out for you right here. Don't complicate the mess. It's already a mess. God's saying, I've simplified it for you. I've put it in one book. Actually, a bunch of documents written by a bunch of different people over generations of years, but they all harmonize with one another. And it may not make sense to you, but it makes sense to me, and that's what should matter. My way, God says. My way. Not your way. Stop arguing. Stop thinking you know better. God lays out for his people exactly how we are meant to be and live. But we just don't trust him. And so God gives them up, it says here, in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Jesus comes on the scene and he shares this story about a persistent widow praying. She prays and and she goes, I'm not praying, but about uh, going to get justice. And she goes, the judge gives her justice because she just goes over and over and he just gives justice just to get rid of her. And he's making a point about prayer. And at the end of this point, he says something interesting. He says in Luke 18, verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Jesus is saying, man, when I come back, am I going to find faith on earth? Not this flighty, like, oh, yay, Jesus, I believe in Jesus. No, but a faith that trusts God and his way when it doesn't agree with the realities around us. Will he find faith on earth? Right after this incident, Luke records another incident in the same chapter. And I love this. It says, now they were bringing, Luke 18, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and saying, let the children come to me. And don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Think about a kid. What are some characteristics of a kid? What's that? Joyful. What else? Trust. What else? Curiosity. Yes. 
Quick to forgive, yes. Honest, unconditional love, yeah. Pure, yes, all these things. You know, I love, we were gone this past week, and I love coming home. And um, because we were gone, all, I mean, we finished the conference on Wednesday, and then Marina and I got to go on a little getaway uh, up to Napa Valley, which is really cool. And we had a great time uh, together, had great conversations, prayer times together. And um, I just want to tangent, discipling is good. And we had a discipling time with Joe and Sarah Eads, and Joe was like, you should stay up there and do a little getaway with your wife. And we were like, okay. <laughs> In fact, I was like, well, I don't know if logistically we can make that happen. Marina was like, no, we'll make that happen. We'll make it work, <laughs> you know. So if you don't have discipling in your life, try to get discipling in your life because it, it can be a blessing to you. Amen. Anyway, um, but I loved coming home on Friday. And as I'm walking up the doorway, all the kids run out of the house. They don't wait for me to get into the house. They run out of the house. And they we're all in the front lawn. They're like, Mommy, Daddy. And there's this joy. My son Jonathan's crazy. He will get, climb up on this thing, just jump off. If, when, he's, when he was littler, he would just jump off into my arms and just trust that I'm going to catch him. We all know these things about children. Quick to forgive, humble, in need of mom and dad's help. Right? They can't do life on their own yet. Loving. They take risks because they're curious. What's this, Dad? It's like a worm or something. or <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, these are kids. And Jesus says, he gives an insight. He says, listen, if you can't be like that, then you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. You know, the thing about, a, about my kids is that they're very secure and confident in my love for them. Like, they will... I, and I'm an imperfect father. I will. I have. I have lost my temper. I have been sarcastic. I have treated them as if I was their big brother and not their father. I have um, exasperated them. And still, there's not a doubt in their mind at all that they're loved by Daddy. Not a doubt. They have never questioned my love for them. And I'm an imperfect dad. Now, extrapolate that out for God. How much more confident would you be if you just trusted and were secure in the fact that God, God loves me. He wants the best for me. What he is outlining God in his word is the best for me. Why am I constantly fighting it, disagreeing with it, arguing with him, thinking that I know better, thinking that I know how to be married better, that I know how to date better, that I know how to work better and be at my job better and, and that I know how to, be, how to do relationships better? Why do I think I know better? When God himself has laid it out for us, he says, I love you. I've, I've given you this. Just trust me. Will, 
he find faith on this earth? We're titling Will You as our sermon series. We're going to talk about a different aspect. And the question today is, will you trust? Will you trust? When God's word doesn't uh, when God's word provides clarity into what sexuality is all about and what his standards of sexuality are and it doesn't align with what you see in the world today will you trust when God outlines his plan of salvation that there is that it includes repentance it includes confession. It includes baptism. And it's all outlined in Scripture. It's just right there for you. But you grew up in this tradition or in that denomination or in that understanding. Will you trust? When that brother said something about you or to you that hurt you, that bothered you, and the expectation is known that you need to forgive them, but you just can't get over it. You can't bring yourself to forgive them because it was so painful. Will you trust? When your husband's being a knucklehead, well, when your husband's being a knucklehead and he's not leading the, the, the family in a spiritual manner and he's, not, he's emotionally absent and he's fixated on his hobbies or his job and he's not present in the home, he's not helping, he's not around and you keep on trying to talk to him and trying to get him going and, and God lays it out in Scripture and says, you know, you could find fulfillment in me and just me. You could trust me a little bit with your husband. You could pray to me a little bit about him. I could probably change him. You can't. Will you trust? When the Bible is very clear about a believer marrying a believer... And if you're going to marry a believer, then that means in our context that you should probably date a believer. And but all, there's a bunch of knuckleheads in the in the ministry and you can't find any 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 cool girls or cool guys to date. And then your coworker, who's really attractive, starts giving you attention and starts commenting on your nice shoes or on your beautiful hair or whatever. And you know by their lifestyle, you know that by their lifestyle, they're good people, they're a nice person, but you know they're not a believer, you know they're not a Christian. And you say to yourself, well, I'll just, I'll just help them to become a Christian. I'll, I'll, I'll accept the invite for that coffee. I'll accept the invite to go and watch a movie together. I'll accept an invite. And your friends are like egging you on. Yeah, yeah, it's not a big deal. Come on, it's just coffee. 
But you know what the Word of God says. Will you trust? And so you see your neighbor's house, and it's huge. You see their car, and you're like, man, God blesses this person, and they don't even go to church. They don't even read their Bible. I know their life. I know the kind of parties they're having at their house and their family. I know. And yet God seems to bless their life. And I'm over here trying to, like, be righteous and do what's right and read my Bible every day and pray every day and obey every, you know. But you want a little bit of that. And Jesus tells you that your treasures are in heaven. The world has nothing for you. But you don't want to trust that. Well, the question will be for you in that moment. Will you trust? We're going to take communion in a moment. And the scripture I want us to focus on as we take communion is Jesus, our example. As he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will but as you will. Jesus wanted a better way, an easier route. But in that moment, when he could have called legions of angels to come to protect him, he decides to trust God. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And so the challenge for us today is we consider the Israelites and their constant rebellion, yet the nature of God that he continued to provide for them. And as you read your story into that and realize the amount of rebelliousness that is within our nature, you can be a faithful Christian for 40 years and still be rebellious. Because it's just within our nature as men and women to be rebellious, to think we know better, to not trust. The prayer I want us to pray is our trust in God, yet not as I will, God, but as you will. I don't know how to raise this kid, not as I will, but as you will. I don't know how to do this marriage thing. Not as I will, but as you will. I don't know how to be pure. Not as I will, but as you will. I don't know how to handle my money or how to steward the money, the resources that you get. Not as I will, but as you will. In the early church, communion was taken to remember Jesus. And you would take the bread and remember the body of Christ, and you would take the cup and remember the blood of Christ. And it was done on a weekly basis to be able to, just as Christians, gather together and, and, and celebrate Jesus. But it was interesting. Uh, we have changed communion to become a very private affair. 
a very individualistic affair. Yet in Scripture, when you read Scripture, the word you is always meant for plural, like y'all, you know, like you all. And so uh, communion comes from, it's a communal event. It was actually done at a meal, at a table with lots of food and, and, and joy and, and excitement. It was never this, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like a somber, solemn kind of a time, although there was a time to examine yourself. There was also a time of being able to uh, a fellowship with one another. So we're going to do a little bit of that today when we take communion, okay? Here's what I want us to do. Uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to take the bread, and I want you to do some self-examination, okay? So I, am, I, am I living a life that is really trust? Am I trusting God with whatever area in your life you need to trust him with, okay? And then we're going to take the cup, and, and when we take the cup, we're going to have uh, prayer times like in groups or with somebody next to you uh, like that. Does that make sense? And have more of an interactive uh, communal communion time, okay? Uh, that's kind of what I'd like to try to do today for our communion time. But I want us to examine ourselves first as we take the bread. What area in my life am I just being rebellious in that I just need to start trusting God? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his prayer, his example. Help us to follow his example. We thank you so much for your provision and your love and your kindness in the spite of our rebelliousness and our arrogance. We take this bread and we want to surrender those parts of our lives to you and answer the question with a answer the question will we trust with a resounding amen and yes and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.